following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Episode 869 of I Doubt It Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, talented, and scholarly Brittany Page. We have another very exciting interview that I am very excited about. Yeah. Because I have followed this person, Jesse Rabinowitz. You can see the name. Uh, I have followed him on Twitter at... Jesser, J-E-S-S-E-R-B-N-W-T-Z. It'll be in the description. You don't need to panic and get a, get a pen and write it down. I sensed people were panicking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jesse Rabinowitz is the Senior Manager for Policy and Advocacy at Miriam's Kitchen, a local nonprofit working to provide meals and housing to end homelessness in D.C. He also leads the Way Home D.C. campaign. So Jesse's entire job is to work to end homelessness, chronic homelessness. And this is something we talk about a lot on on the show. It comes up a lot. I tend to do my YouTube videos about issues uh, related to poverty, poverty being a policy choice. And that comes up during this conversation. Shocker. And I think it's just a great conversation to listen to primarily because you may find ways to get involved and ways to help the cause yeah. if it is something that you care about and it's nice just to listen to a conversation i think where you learn something yeah i'm i i enjoy when i talk to somebody who is two things passionate and knowledgeable it's like a secret fucking weapon when you can combine those two things um it just seems to to be a potent combination and he's got it in force both knowledgeable and passionate about this particular topic so For sure. Uh, without further ado, let's get to the interview with Jesse Rabinowitz. Jesse Rabinowitz, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. We're so happy to have you here. We have followed your work on Twitter, and you have a lot of really great tweets. I I, I want to give you credit for those. <laughs> In this case, Twitter is the real world. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about what you do, what your position is, how you work uh, to end homelessness. What is it that drew you to this work? Growing up from a young age, my parents, my mom would help run her synagogue's uh, winter shelter. And from a young age, she would drag me there and volunteer. And I remember one day when I was about five, I was in the kitchen, probably being obnoxious. And she said, just go out and talk to people. So I remember sitting with these older men experiencing homelessness on the mats that they would sleep on for the night and connecting with them as humans and realizing that these people have the same wants and desires and rights as I do. They are deserving of compassion and respect and dignity. Fast forward, I went to school in College Park, Maryland, and would always come into D.C. and walk around the White House and do touristy things and just think how fucked up it was that there were people living outside literally in front of the White House. And that really propelled me into a lot of volunteerism and then a career dedicated to ending homelessness. 
Yeah, I think that that is something that has been shocking upon my move to D.C. is just that that visual juxtaposition of the Capitol is right there, the White House is right there, and you will see tents and yeah. people in the streets all around. The ostentatious wealth that exists in D.C. and the, I mean, some of the richest counties in the country are right here, and there's visible misery and and you know public policy supported torture, misery of of human beings. It's disgusting absolutely homelessness is the most visible manifestation of the failure of our economic system uh, the failure of our economic system homelessness is the most visible manifestation of the failures of capitalism in this country and nowhere is it more prominent when than when you're walking to the white house or walking to capitol hill i wonder how many congress people and their staff leave union station every day to walk to the office on the hill and look past the hundreds of people who live outside in dc and it's those people who have the power to do something and I wish they would use their power to end homelessness instead of accept the status quo that people are living outside. Yeah, we, we for a year we lived in Columbia Heights mm. and it's something we talked about all the time that like how can members of co- people who are elected officials with the power to change things through public policy just step over or ignore or avert their gaze in the, in the, in the face of tragic human suffering it's just uh, wicked it's wicked i think we as a society fundamentally see people living outside as undeserving and not worthy of our compassion that's i agree i think it's been difficult for us too having these conversations on the show because our audience is primarily people who would describe themselves as liberal i think in a lot of cases progressive but we will get voicemails and emails after talking about some of these issues and we will hear from the people who you know describe themselves as liberal or progressive using right-wing propaganda talking points when they discuss the unhoused. And I think it's hard for me, given my experience as a therapist working in inpatient psychiatric hospitals, to like hear these talking points trotted out. It's hard to describe what I know about these populations and try to get people to feel compassion for the population. What do you feel like is missing in the conversations that you see in the media or from the, in these spaces that is like leaving out your experience. I think that not caring about homelessness is unfortunately a bipartisan solution these days. I mean, right here in DC, we have a progressive city with a supposedly progressive mayor who is continuing <laughs> to evict homeless again. It's right and left. Yeah, she's not progressive. I mean, I don't mean to put. I know you probably don't. I know you probably don't believe she's a progressive, but she needs to be ousted from office. She may as well be a Republican. Probably can't have that on here. I'm going to wear my work hat. <laughs> the C three police will come after me. Um, right. We collectively think that people experience homelessness because they did something wrong. In fact, it's because the systems and the the world we're living in shoves people who are predominantly poor, predominantly black, into homelessness. D.C. is about 45% black, but about 85% of people experiencing homelessness are black. It shows that these are not individual things that people did wrong, but we're living in these oppressive systems that are working intentionally and exactly as designed, which is to prioritize wealth for white folks and in doing so shove black people and people of color further and further into poverty. Yeah, you brought up the the homeless encampments and that has been a big thing because we've actually seen one. We drove by, I think, and in, in, I don't remember where we were in mm. D.C., but we were watching them. Th- they throw their belongings away. I mean, they yeah. literally put them into the trash yep. 
tents, medications. I mean, they're stealing and destroying their property. Um, and I mean, that's in spite of the research showing that it doesn't do anything other than move like visible poverty from one place to the next. Have you been present when these encampments are being torn down? I've been present in more encampment evictions than I care to think about. The most recent one I was at was the McPherson Square eviction where the Mm. Biden administration and the Bowser administration came together to evict 75 people. Two people were arrested that day who were U.S. veterans who were living in the square and were arrested for experiencing homelessness. Wasn't that also in direct contravention of Biden, stated Biden policy of how they're going to address the issue? In direct contradiction to their plan to end homelessness. And we tried our best to make them aware of that. Unfortunately, it didn't work. Um, One of the, there were many jarring things that day. One was the deployment of LRAD, the military sound weapons. Mm -hmm. Um, We had learned after the fact that the National Park Service had actually embedded undercover police officers disguised as people experiencing homelessness to monitor the camp. And we learned that there was a SWAT team stationed down the block ready to respond if they needed to. This is the militarization of police and the criminalization of homelessness. That day, the the National Park Service is supposed to save people's important items like tents and documents, but because it had rained the night before, they classify anything that is wet as soiled. So they were able to say, everything is soiled, everything's contaminated, we're just going to throw it all away. I've been in encampment evictions where they threw away the last picture someone had with their deceased mother. That doesn't end homelessness. That makes people less trusting of the system and further traumatizes people. You, you know, if of all the things that were rightly said about Donald Trump and that administration relative to how they dealt with peaceful protesters and their fascistic leanings or tendencies or just outright fascism, the Biden administration in this in this particular way isn't doing anything different anything better i think the biden administration is is leaps and above above the trump administration in terms of homelessness they really have embraced a housing first approach which the trump administration gutted and there are productive conversations about how to prevent something like mcpherson from happening again so they you you think they've learned from like oh shit we fucked up um whatever wires were crossed that you think that they've corrected the issue yes yeah. Well, good. Yeah, that's good to hear. And there are several other national parks in D.C. that have homeless encampments. They were supposed to have been cleared, but after McPherson, they kind of put the brakes on and are working collaboratively to figure out a way to address the problem in a way that is in line with best practices to end homelessness. And so probably think in large part thanks to your work and your colleagues' work. Yeah, it was bringing great. attention to it. It was great to see all of the national organizations kind of come together to support the local work. So yeah, I'm yeah, proud yeah. of what we did. I wish we could have stopped McPherson, but my hope is that it will impact how National Park Service approaches future encampments. But DC, sorry, DC on the other hand, they're they're still there was another one on the outskirts like in Northeast where they just put up a fence or something with the same draconian tactics. Even worse. DC is evicting homeless encampments right and left, and there's a a protocol that's supposed to be followed that says you should be given some warning, there's a a certain order for things to happen, but now the Deputy Mayor for Health and Human Services has has started to cite everything as a public health concern. Mm. So there was a person who had cans of paint. They said, that's a hazardous material, we have to clear this encampment. We said, can we throw away the paint? And the only solution they could come up with was to evict the person. Um, This is happening 
all over the city many times a week, often with less than 24 hours notice. So the Bowser administration is moving full force to turn D.C. into a no-tent zone. Well, people will also cite like rats as as the health concern. And it's like, why don't you you want to go in the backyard right now? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, not right now, but like at night you want to go in the backyard because rats are everywhere. This is a city. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to living in a city. And there are things that can be done. There's rodent remediation. There are harm reduction strategies. A lot of the complaints we get are people going to the bathroom. People are only going to the bathroom outside because they have no other choice. Let's put in a porta potty. Let's put in a hand washing station. What are the common sense solutions that we can use to mitigate these concerns while respecting people's autonomy and dignity? The Journal of the American Medical Association came out with a journal article last month that, that showed very clearly displacing people from encampments kills them. It increases mortality through drug overdose, through hypertension sure. for heart disease. By moving people from encampments and not putting them into housing, we are killing people in D.C. It just doesn't make any sense that, like, what what is expected of these people who are living in a park, in a tent, if you take their tent... Do they think that they're all of a sudden going to have a home? I, I don't, it just doesn't make any. It, well, because one of the requirements, stupid. one of the requirements is to ensure that they have somewhere to go in terms of the federal requirements, right? Like the process that you were talking about, they should technically have somewhere that they can go. And instead the process is now they're just evicting them from the, the park and they have nowhere to go. I think a lot of what we hear is people can go to shelter. People living in encampments have tried shelter. It doesn't work for them for a lot of different reasons. People are making a conscious and deliberative choice to stay in encampments. And if all of the people living in encampments tonight went to shelter, the system would explode. We don't have enough beds. People don't want congregate shelter. They want housing. Mm -hmm. And we, as a society, have failed to adequately support them in that. So there's been some, I think, skepticism about Housing First, but it seems like there's increasing support for it. Is that something that you have seen in your work? Housing First works. At Miriam's Kitchen, we employ a Housing First approach in our permanent supportive housing, and 98% of our clients stay stably housed after the first year. It works. It works well. The old approach of Housing Last, conversely, did not work. The requirements of sobriety, of going to the therapist, of taking your psych meds, of looking for a job, I, I don't meet all of those things. Most of my friends aren't don't meet all of those things, but because they're humans, they still have housing. Yeah. So we know that you can achieve your goals much more easily after you have a safe, a safe and stable place to call home. Can you explain in a little bit more depth exactly what Housing First is? Absolutely. Housing First is the approach that we give someone housing first, and then from the stability and safety of their own home, they're able to achieve their other goals, whether that's sobriety, connection with a family, employment, education, anything that they want. But it's understanding that all of those things start from having a safe place to sleep, a safe door to lock, medicine cabinet where you can store your meds and a place to be and relax so it doesn't eliminate the condition there are no conditions it's housing first those other um elements of concern they're addressed later after the person is secured with housing absolutely it's housing first not housing only so at our our team at miriam's kitchen provides comprehensive wraparound supportive services to help folks achieve their goals and is really client directed but people get into housing first and then they're able to thrive where do you think you got your um, um, robust sense of empathy? My parents are both social workers. Yeah. So social work is kind of the family business. I got my MSW, so I think it was kind of just ingrained in the way we grew up. Every 
every evening around dinner, we would do daily temperature readings and talk about what we were grateful for and what we hoped would change in our lives and any feedback we had for other members of the family. And it took me until I was, I think, in middle school to realize that wasn't something that every family did every night. Can your family adopt me right now? (laughs) That's definitely... Well, we didn't have a a family dinner table, so we were lucky if we had to fight for a spot at the coffee table, so... Yeah, growing up and still my parents say the four-letter F word in our house is feel. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems difficult to find a way to convince people who are... um, not supporting of housing first to like have that empathy have you found something that is valuable or useful in trying to convince people that they should feel empathy for the unhoused i think the most effective thing we're able to do is have people who have succeeded in housing first tell their stories Mm -hmm. in ways that feel safe and comfortable to them i'm thinking very specifically of one client of ours who unfortunately passed away a few years ago named walden adams he was a super utilizer of hospitals of mental health services he was really unwell and he would cycle through housing using the housing last approach you know use substances have a psychotic episode get discharged to the hospital and just cycle for years and years and years after he got into housing walden ran over 20 marathons he became an advocate he was a leader in the community and in the country for peers and their voices experiencing homelessness he he is the picture in my head of what I think of when housing first works. So anyone who is able to sit down with someone like a Walden or the many brilliant leaders we have in our community with lived experience of homelessness, it's really hard to refute when you're sitting in front of someone and hearing their story, how beneficial and impactful these programs are. But also there's data. One of the great things about housing first is it is a robustly researched practice that is data-informed, data-driven, and there are studies upon studies that show not only the efficacy, but the cost savings of Housing First. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think pulling on the heartstrings is the thing that's going to do it. I wish that data is something that people cared more about. Yeah, yeah. the the two most uh, um, unused words or uh, with lack of efficacy would be (laughs) evidence-based. Too often, too often. I mean, there's there's a portion of people out there that it really does matter. But too often, I think it's the people who find their empathy only once they've found their tragedy. And in this case, not their tragedy, but if you sit down, like when you were a kid, you stand and sit down and talk to somebody who's who's out on the street. And, you know, I think it would make a, a big difference. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, I was at the White House talking about homelessness. And I asked the person I was meeting with, how many people in this building do you think have gone and talked to the people living outside near the White House? And the answer was... Very few. And I wonder what our national discourse and what our policy yeah. would look like if people in power made the effort to sit down with people experiencing homelessness. What do you think uh, the the effect would be if we were able to come up, like the three of us put our heads together and we figured something out of how to convince others that we're all just a few bad, bad luck mistakes away from homelessness ourselves? people would realize and people are recognizing that housing there is a housing crisis in this country yeah in dc in new york and california but all across the city research from the national low-income housing coalition shows that in no county in this country can you live on minimum wage you can't do it no one can afford to live here and this will only get worse and worse so i think that we have to help people understand that this is only going to get worse unless we and our politicians on a national level put 
a fuck ton of money into affordable housing. And for those skeptics, I don't think there's a ton of skeptics in our audience, but this is the United States of America. We're constantly banging on about how we're the wealthiest country on the history of the planet that's ever existed. We have a fuck ton of money. We could do this. It's a choice to not do it. Poverty is a policy choice. Yeah. As Maxine Waters always says, for the cost of an aircraft carrier, we could end homelessness in this country. Yeah. D.C. has a budget of $19 billion. The mayor's proposed budget included exactly $0 to expand housing vouchers. And that was that, changed, right, through your advocacy work? We were able to work with the council to eke out uh, about 230 housing vouchers, which certainly isn't enough, but is 230 more than the mayor allocated. Can you talk a little bit about like how that happened? Like, how were you able to achieve that? Because I think it's motivating for people to hear that you were able to, you know, face off and make this progress. Sure. We run a campaign out of Miriam's Kitchen called The Way Home Campaign, which brings together about 110 local organizations and about 7,000 voters. And we were able to mobilize our base to speak directly with the council members and with the council chair and make the case that investing zero dollars to end homelessness does not match up with our values as, as a city and doesn't match with our shared goal of ending chronic homelessness. So we did. Uh, lobby visits. We did an action at the DC council building, emails, calls, meetings, all of that came together to really shift the narrative and fund more housing vouchers than the mayor funded. Back to the point of we have money. We're already spending as this country so much money on housing, but we're spending money to subsidize rich people's second and third homes. In his book, Evicted, Matthew Desmond talks about how if we took all of these home mortgage deductions and tax loopholes that wealthy Mm. people are able to use, we could fund a housing voucher for everyone who needs one. We wouldn't even have to raise taxes. It's just reallocating what our priorities are. So so to to rephrase that for the people who are like me and a little 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 uh, shallow in the brain pan you're talking about (laughs) people who are getting uh, tax breaks for having a second or third home we could eliminate that tax break instead of putting that money back into an ostensibly rich person's pocket Someone who doesn't necessarily need it. Keep it it in the treasury and then fund it, divert it to uh, a a program like this. Exactly. Second and third homes, second and third homes, but also the purchase of your first home and all of these mortgage deductions and loopholes. You, you, You would advocate getting rid of all mortgage deductions. I would advocate seriously taking a look at it. Or, or maybe on a sliding scale of income. I mean, I'm just spitballing here. Yeah, yeah. I, I, we need to examine it. Like, yeah, I think that's currently a great the idea. Fund, we have the money. I would rather the money go. If we're going to spend money on housing, it should go to end homelessness mm-hmm. and support people who are tenuously housed. And then after we have done all that, sure, let's subsidize people having buying a nice house. But yeah. what are what are our priorities have to be? Helping people who are literally living outside first. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, what do you see as the primary um, policies that people should be focusing on right now, pushing for in order to see changes in their communities? Nationally, we're seeing a very concerted and terrifying effort to roll back all of the progress we made run out of uh, an organization called the Cicero Institute uh, to push back against housing first across the country and to increase the criminalization of homelessness. In Florida, they propose moving homeless people to an island that was a trash compacting, like a trash facility. These are the people who are kind of doing similar things to the ALEC model legislation that would have states strip funding for Housing First. The Housing First movement, the Ending Homelessness movement, is under attack by people motivated by work requirements, sobriety, conservative values, and we have to come together as a community and say, 
we're going to do what works and what works is housing first and homelessness we're really fortunate to sh- to have proof that what we're doing works it's not enough to be right we need to have it funded at scale which we haven't in this country yeah I have a vivid memory of being in my high school government class. I was just going to bring up the story. and um, You tell it all the time. And there were, I went to school in Idaho, so there were a lot of conservatives. And um, someone in the class suggested a solution to ending homelessness would be to move all of the uh, homeless people to an island and blow it up. Oh. And so to hear a suggestion of like sending the unhoused to an island, I'm right. like, you know, did this kid from my high school become a legislator in Florida? <laughs> um, it's was, horrifying. So was that just a proposal or was that? It was a legislative proposal. It did not pass. Right, right. But there are similar attempts around the country. I mean, we see these ideas of moving people to the outskirts of the city, creating these what are called sanctioned encampments, which are never in the nice parts of town, right? They're always on the outskirts in the industrial zones where nobody wants to be. It's, it's creating segregation of people experiencing homelessness. So we can push them even further out of sight and then out of mind. I think Donald Trump right now, that's a plank of his campaign in 2024 is to create, um, camps, uh, internment camps for homeless people on mass. Yes. That is part of it. And then part, uh, Increasing the ability to do involuntary commitments and psych holds um, and a, a huge expansion of criminalization of homelessness. Right. So it's just like doubling down on the Reagan era um, approach to how we dealt with the problem then. Well, I would say the Reagan era created this this modern wave of homelessness. Yeah. Um, but I think it's doubling down on these punitive reactionary conservative ideas that everybody knows are not going to end homelessness. No expert in this field, nobody with lived experience of homelessness has ever said, you know what the solution is, is to move everyone to an island and say, see you later. Right. The solution is housing. It's not rocket science. We need the funding and the political will to do it. Yeah. yeah what's so strange about it to me is all of it boils down to just removing visible poverty from the streets. And I mean, you touched on it earlier that we are all of us closer to being in that situation, being on the street than we are to being a wealthy person, (laughs) being a millionaire, being a billionaire. And yet a lot of these conservatives, that's like who they champion. That's who they look to to get their values. It's it's strange because you have nothing in common with that person. You don't have anything in common with Elon Musk. Why are you... Except for your racism, I guess. That's right. It's it's the the fantasy land that Republicans live in relative to what the United States is. They you know they hold John Wayne up as this war, war hero, but a guy who never served. Yeah, Donald Trump, the same thing. You see cartoons of him drift like these now AI images of him in like battle gear, and it's just he's a draft dodger, man. He's not. So it is. It's it's this bizarre. Um, fantasy world that they live in that they think that the 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 encampment the internment camp is what the answer is and it, they're also motivated by this belief that people who don't have boots or boot strings can pick themselves up yeah. by their boots they, yeah it just can't be done yeah yeah, yeah. on uh, May 31st you tweeted and I want to ask you about it uh, yesterday's Council of D.C. was a good lesson on how white progressives, progressives in quotes, weaponize process to get what they want, often in service of the status quo. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that? It was a debate uh, about a change to D.C.'s rent control um, and an increase for the amount owed for people living in rent control. Uh, We saw a black council members amendment that was submitted 
in advance through the proper channels well before the meeting get sidelined by the introduction of a more conservative version introduced by a white council member and when the council chair who's a white man was called on it he told the black council member i didn't hear you even though the rest of us did and that to me was emblematic of the situation thankfully yesterday the council was able to vote on a uh, compromise legislation around rent control that that makes progress towards keeping rent increases lower mm-hmm. well, it's good that you have your your you and your colleagues have your eye on the ball relative to the, the downstream effect of a policy like rent control that if, if that fails or there's not enough money for it or it's not supported well enough then homeless numbers increase i mean just it's kind of the logical end result right I think so, and I think the homeless services field is finally coming around to the understanding that we can't end homelessness without addressing the lack of deeply affordable housing. I think we are unfortunately seeing a pretty large uptick in homelessness in D.C. and around the country, and I really think that is the reverberation of COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, Research showed that COVID would increase homelessness by about 40%, and it took a few years for that to happen. Homelessness is often a lagging indicator of economic instability. People get evicted and then they go to their mom's house and their cousin's house and their aunt's house and then they stay at hotel and they finally exhaust all of their money and they show up in the homeless services system and i think that's where we are now yeah similar to like what with unemployment numbers that they say the unemployment rate is like 3.7 percent but it's really more like 13 percent because they just stop counting people after a while yeah yeah but i think uh many service providers in dc are serving more people than they were the point in time annual homeless since this shows an uptick in D.C. So I think we are finally at that eviction tsunami that so many of us were worried about when the pandemic started. And these numbers that we're talking about here in D.C., and we haven't talked specific numbers of, of how many people are unhoused, but uh, this is a, an endemic problem all across the country. This is every major city in the United States based on that figure you talked about, that you cannot afford a two-bedroom apartment working federal minimum wage in this country in any county in the there's not a county in mississippi the poorest state in our union that you can afford an apartment work a minimum wage exactly yeah it's just unaffordable to live in this country yeah Mm -hmm. so 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 uh, the point was that this is not just a dc problem it's not just a new york city problem this is a san diego problem this is a dallas problem this is a houston this is a a red state and a blue state problem it's an american problem homelessness is a uniquely american issue and unfortunately our solution has been to ignore it instead of to embrace it head-on with proven solutions like housing yeah Mm -hmm. So the the goal of the organization that you work for is to end chronic homelessness. What do you see as the biggest obstacle right now before you to achieving that goal? The the biggest obstacle is political will to put our commitments into action. Mayor Bowser uh, had a plan to end all homelessness by 2020. We clearly haven't gotten there. We've made a lot of progress. Thanks to our advocacy, D.C. has funded over 6,000 housing vouchers. But right now, we're seeing the Bowser administration really struggle to implement the funds that are already there. So we need our elected officials to use their political will to move vouchers out the door quickly. We saw during COVID that when the government wants to do something, they can do it big and they can do it fast. Mm -hmm. This is a choice for them not to apply that same level of commitment and energy into ending homelessness. Well, they're committed to giving bonuses of tens of thousands of dollars to new cops that they're trying to recruit i mean there's there's not a shortage of money there's tons of money for new cops i think the the point about 
pay increases for police is so insidious because the mayor increased the signing bonuses for police from $20,000 to $25,000. The same week, she eliminated its signing bonuses for permanent supportive housing case managers. Mm -hmm. And the lack of permanent supportive housing case managers has been the administration's reason that they are struggling to move money out the door. So it's not only that we can find money for cops, it's that we're taking money from homeless services. So what can we do, Brittany and Jesse? And the people within the sound, you know, the five people who listen to the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, let's say someone's listening to this and they are getting, you know, angry and they want to get involved. They want to help. What what would you suggest that they do? Absolutely. If you're in D.C., join our campaign at www.thewayhomedc.org and check out Miriam's Kitchen. Around the country, there are state and local groups doing the same work. This is happening in red states and blue states all across the country. Get involved. Your local elected officials need to hear from you, and they often don't. I remember talking to a council member one year, and they said, our phones are blowing up. People are so outraged that we made it harder for people to get a chicken in their yard. And that was a thing that they were people were passionate about. We need people to be passionate and making that same amount of noise about our neighbors literally living and dying outside. People don't recognize, but the power of a phone call, the power of a personalized email to a state or local representative is so impactful. Or showing up to a city council meeting. Showing up to a council meeting, showing yeah. up to their offices. And as a D.C. resident, I don't have I don't have representation in Congress. My plea is to listeners who do have congressional representation, talk to your congresspeople. Ending homelessness should be a bipartisan issue. It saves money. It works. It saves lives. It makes our whole community safer, stronger, and healthier. We need Congress to get their act together to fund large-scale appropriations that will end homelessness. Yeah. Well, it's one of the reasons, like we talked um, a la- couple episodes ago with Mich- uh, Jamal Bowman. Definitely not Michelle Bowman. I don't know why <laughs> M was coming out of my mouth. Um, and he emphasized just how important this next election is and uh, getting rid of people like Cinema uh, and Manchin. I don't know if he used those exact words. That's... Uh, I will take credit for that thought, <laughs> like I'm the only one. But you know, uh, electing progressives in overwhelming numbers, especially into Congress, is going to make or break the agenda for the next you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And this issue specifically is going to be um, dealt with, I think. In, in, it could be in short order if we get the right mix in Congress. Absolutely. And we could, in a very short amount of time, end homelessness. It requires cash, it requires political will, and it requires people willing to do the work. We have people willing to do the work. I work with them every single day. We all go to work to end homelessness. If the government backed that up with the funding needed, we wouldn't see as many encampments. We wouldn't see as many people staying outside or in overcrowded shelters. We could we could end homelessness in this country. Our politicians are the ones who have the power to make that happen. So do you it be, you believe it, it, it takes – I'm at this question, not telling you what you believe. Uh, <laughs> you, uh, so, so building housing complex, like apartment complexes, affordable, not these luxury high-rises. Like what exactly is the solution on the ground, the real world? What In your world, what would it look like? Great question. I think we need to be creative. I think in D.C. there are so many vacant apartments – that we could be using to get folks into housing. We have a very robust voucher system in D.C., and that means that people can take their voucher and live in a luxury building or whatever building they want, and the voucher will cover it. It's phenomenal. We need to see that expanded. Most states have 
severe uh, voucher discrimination. DC has it, but on a much lesser degree. Um, so we need states to make voucher discrimination actually illegal and, and enforce what's that it. look like voucher discrimination in, in many states it's the landlord saying hey you have a voucher no we're oh, not okay. gonna, i we're, don't i don't rent i don't rent whatever holders. it's called exactly in yeah. dc it's more insidious but it still happens um it's going to take using vouchers it's going to take building low-income housing it's going to take creative solutions like we learned from the pandemic that people really like non-congregate shelters like a hotel those need to be in play as we figure out how to build and scale up our housing system. Yeah. Before the pandemic, our clients would always tell us, I don't want to stay in a shelter with 60 other people. I don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. And we would, and the system would label them shelter resistant and kind of write them off. And when we gave them the opportunity to stay in a hotel room by themselves, they were like, yeah, this is great. Yeah, And we saw people healthier able to get connected to services moved into housing more quickly so we need to modernize how we think about our shelter system and our front door response system at the same time as we are ending homelessness for people already experiencing homelessness yeah what are some resources you think would be helpful for people to check out if they're wanting to learn more about this issue, educate themselves a little bit more on the topic? I mean, aside from following you on Twitter and following <laughs> Miriam's kitchen and yeah <laughs> I would encourage folks to to get familiar with our local street paper. There's a there's a large network of homeless newspapers across the city, and uh, uh, sorry, there's a large network of homeless street newspapers across the country. In DC, it's Street Sense Media. These are stories written about homelessness and housing in the city, largely by people who are have experienced homelessness. It's the best journalism on homelessness you're going to get in the country. So. I really think that's a great place to start. And then um, the National Income Housing Association, or, sorry, the National Income Housing Coalition, the National Alliance and Homelessness all have great resources as well. How do you how do you track, like how do you find out when a McPherson Square clearing is happening or some of the disparate ones that have happened around the city? How are you kept in the loop? I know it's your, it's your gig, it's what you do, but it, like for someone like us who wanted to go to, would want to go down there with a camera and in our case a microphone and talk to some people how would how would we keep track of that the government's making it impossible to do that there's they're supposed to publish the proposed or the government's supposed to publish the dates on the website on a website they're not doing that mm. um they they often say we're going to start this clearing at 9 and start it at 7 so when you say government you mean the city of Washington DC government Largely, but also the national government, the oh, federal government. Federal. Okay. Um, so they're making it really hard, and we need to hold them accountable yeah. and tell them to be transparent. Yeah. All right. Yeah. These are all good things for me to know because I am not afraid to make noise. <laughs> so we're uh, looking forward to that. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, I, to underscore, the Bowser administration is clearing encampments often weekly, often two or three times a week with less than 24 hours notice. And no notice, obviously, to the residents either. I mean, just maybe just maybe surprise. 12 hours, maybe 24 hours. Yeah. And what we see is that that makes it harder to end homelessness for that person. We have people who were matched to a voucher, which means they could get into housing, were evicted from their encampment, and we can't find them. Right. They they could not be homeless anymore. We, we could get them into the housing that they want, but we have displaced them, eroded all of the trust. And I get it. Why would you want to trust a system that shows up to your house with a bulldozer and police? Yeah. To, to remind folks, in D.C., during one of Mayor Bowser's encampment evictions, they bulldozed a human being when trying to throw away his tent. 
I can appreciate why watching your neighbor get bulldozed would make you trust the government less. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it is something that, it, and I don't think I have some outsized level of empathy or some superpower with empathy, but just because the belongings of someone may seem junky, if you, you to use the term, or or not 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 worth anything, or or not valuable, it is still someone's. It is their property, yeah. you know. And there's been a tradition in the United States that when we talk about liberty, we're talking about uh, ownership of property, things, your your belongings, and you're depriving someone of liberty by. I just it's such a fucking anathema to me. And I think it's not a question. I'm just pissed off. <laughs> I mean, welcome to my world. Lots of rage, but I think people from across a political ideology get it right they get that we maybe don't know what the solution is we're not policy wonks but like throwing away people's stuff like that that's not right and my boss was recently did a career day at her kids five-year-old at her son's five-year-old class and those kids get it they get it's wrong that people live outside it's wrong that we throw away their stuff and we need to bring back that basic values perspective to this work it is wrong that half a million people are going to go to sleep tonight in the richest country in the world without housing it's just wrong do you find that the the pernicious idea and talking point that you hear from assholes like ted cruz and others uh that oh they choose to be homeless they want to be homeless i know a guy who knows a guy who saw a guy who talked to a guy one time who said that they watched him get in their mercedes after they were panhandling i mean do you see that going away or is that still a, a forceful common repeated bullshit line it's very common and i agree with them that homelessness is a choice but it's a policy choice not an individual choice yeah, that's it's, great it's a choice made by our elected officials yeah. i've been doing this work for eight years have spanned the kind of gamut from drop-in center worker homeless root outreach worker policy wonk I, I, I think i've met two people who honest to god chose to be homeless mm-hmm. most people don't trust the system that has said we're okay with you living outside for 20 years i And I get that. We have so much harm to repair and so much trust to build that when we, in an honest relationship with someone, can build respect, can build empathy, can build rapport and say, hey, do you want to talk about the housing? People say yes. Mm -hmm. As long as it happens on their timetable, housing that they like, that they want, that they get to choose and housing that meets their needs, people want it. Every single day, people come to Miriam's Kitchen and say, can you help me with housing? Yeah. I mean, it's not like we're, we're we're everyone's advocating for mansions for every person who's on the street. It's just a place to live that's safe and, and secure and, and and shelter. Yeah, it's, it's uh, not uh, fucking rocket science. A safe door to lock, a bed to sleep in, a medicine yeah. cabinet, maybe a place to to cook some food. Well, you're doing good work. Uh, it's it's admirable. We need more people like you with the passion and the the selflessness. I'm sure there's more lucrative occupations out there that you're educationally uh, um, capable of, qualified for, and you're choosing to to help an invisible portion of our population. I think that you know, the rewards of working with someone and watching them get their keys and moving into an apartment is is more than money could ever provide. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, and we see it every day. We are ending homelessness. I know a lot of people don't see it because they see encampments. DC is making progress. It's far too slow. It's not enough, but we are moving in the right direction. But it's going to take continued, sustained investment from the local and the federal level to make sure we're moving and continue moving that needle in the right direction. 
Well, I think that is the message that we want to end on, a hopeful note, an inspirational note. But also, we always ask our guests one question when we wrap up, and that is to encourage the audience, signal to the audience that it is okay to change one's mind, that it is necessary, in fact, to change one's mind when the evidence changes or when our understanding of the evidence changes. So we're going to ask you, Jesse, what is the last thing you changed your mind about? I think I'm continually changing my mind about what the public thinks about homelessness. I think I live in uh, my defensive cave and I'm I'm bombarded by NIMBYs and people who want to clear encampments all the time. But I I have to remind myself that most people get that we can end homelessness, that it's not acceptable that we have a homelessness crisis in the city and in this country. And most people just need to be plugged in and have some hand-holding as they walk past some of the narratives and the uh, misconceptions that they've been imbued with as a society. I think most people do care and want us to end homelessness with housing, but often those voices get overshadowed by some racist trolls on Twitter. Yeah. yeah. So people can be educated. We can make progress. Absolutely. We can yeah. make we can make so much progress. Yeah. Um, it's been heartening to see council members and elected officials walk with us in their understanding of homelessness. We We can change minds. It takes being in a relationship with someone, it takes a lot of hard conversations, but I do fundamentally think that changing people's minds is possible. Awesome. Well, thanks for being an optimist. I'm, uh, I think there's no value or efficacy with, in cynicism at all, and it's nice to see somebody who's actually making a difference um, show the goods that you're, you know, you're, you're, you, you, I, whether you label yourself that or not, it seems like you're an optimistic person. I don't know that I'd refer to myself that way, <laughs> uh, but that's nice to hear. You're gonna take it. You're gonna take. You're gonna take the compliment. <laughs> I think you have to be an optimist, right? I, I yeah. don't. I don't think there's value in getting lost in hopelessness. Yeah. Yeah. But we appreciate your time. Thank you for having this conversation with us, and we hope you will come back. Happy to. That seemed pretty great to me. I hope that it was a motivator for other people. What are your uh, What are your takeaways? Well, I think we hear from the audience a lot this frustration of what can I do? How can I get involved? This problem seems so massive that it's difficult to think about what you yeah. can be doing. And so I think it's useful to hear from someone so knowledgeable, give suggestions of ways to get involved, at, not just here in D.C., but nationally, and to know that you can make a difference. And I, I, I particularly found the conversation related to the progress that Jesse was able to make through his advocacy work with the budget here in D.C. Yeah. and allocating additional vouchers for housing, I mean... Being able to push and make those changes and and get the funding that you you need, we we can achieve that. We can make these changes happen. Yeah, it struck me also when after we you know we said our goodbyes and he left that it, it's probably not an army of people who are trying to effect change on the city council here. It's probably him and a handful of others, and it really is. Um, it does illustrate just how much impact just a few people can have on government. When they set their mind to it, they become passionate. They they're they're knowledgeable. You know, to to go back to the the earlier trope that I was talking about, uh, it's important to get involved. And if this is something that that uh, that that pushes your buttons, if this is something that irritates you, if you've been looking for something to get involved in, there's a there's no more noble, no better cause or set of people to represent than people who are traditionally 
invisible mm-hmm. in our in our country. I think it's a challenge to all of us that that we can look for something if we want to be doing more, then we should look for something that we can be doing in order Without to do doubt. more. I, I'm I'm very interested in getting involved with his organization. I think that that would be a um, heartwarming. Sounds dumb, but um, there is reward in 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 giving and helping, and I think uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to look into that myself. Yeah. You can do your own thing, but I'm going to I'm going to look into it. <laughs> anyway, uh we'd love your questions. Um he uh committed that if, if we need to have him come back, he can come back in and answer some questions. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to i doubt it at dollamore.com. Uh, before we go, we want to remind you that we are a listener-supported independent media operation here. You can support us by going to patreon.com slash Podcast. As I lose my voice in the middle of talking, <clears throat> yikes, um, every, bit, every little bit goes a long way. If we're over to marshal the size of our audience, whether that be just the podcast or podcasts in our, in our, our uh, individual YouTube audiences, it would fundamentally change what we're able to do here, the kind of guests we can get, the content that we can produce, the, the going out in the field and producing things, all of these things we want to do, and it takes, unfortunately, uh, funding. So again, patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. You know, don't worry about your voice going out right now because <clears throat> everyone has turned off the show by now. <laughs> no one is listening to this. It's only uh, us. It's right. only us well, that's hearing then, this right well, now. Well, then, listen, Brittany, I would really appreciate it <laughs> yeah. if you would go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me go into my pocket. Anyway, we love you guys. We appreciate you very much. I'm going to go get a cough drop in. Uh, a Ricola. Some tea. Or some tea. Uh, we'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I am the raspy Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It.